Uh, and at this time, I would like to introduce our main speaker for this morning, a great man and a great friend, Tony K. from Auburn. My name's Tony. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, it's weird. I've never, never been a great public speaker, or I never had the desire to want to be a public speaker. And uh, like, my biggest fear always was like, I was going to come up here and just like seize up. You know, I'm not going to be able to say anything. And uh, you know, I'm honored. I'm honored that uh, the host committee asked me to come up here and share my experience, strength, and hope. Um, I, it, this whole weekend, <clears throat> I got here on Thursday night, and I've been I've been walking around and. Uh, this has been an awesome, an awesome roundup for me. It's, it's, it's like uh, I can't stop smiling, and the muscles in my face hurt from smiling so damn much. You know what I mean? And, it, and, it, and it's been just one of those experiences for me that uh, there's no way I could have ever had this if I'd been drinking. And uh, and I sit here and I look at all these people that put this conference on, and I think about all the all the manpower and all the all the people that had to show up and be responsible. And then I think about what I was like when I drank, and I think about. It's amazing that there's a least possible organization, and you see a group of young people, sober and alcoholics anonymous, and they put on this event that holds, you know, close to 2,000 people, and it's like organized. There's not big street fights. There's not gun battles. I mean, it's amazing. And uh, they're carrying this message of alcoholics anonymous, and uh, it just it, it blows me away when I think about it. You know, um, it's huge. And I see there's there's obviously something greater at work there because that was absolutely nothing that I desired when I walked in here. Um, my first experience with uh, with Acupa, I love Acupa. Acupa is great. It was my first conference too, as, as well as a lot of people's. And uh, the, I first heard Acupa. I got sober in Colorado and um, hanging out with a couple friends. And there was one guy that was from LA, and uh, I just like to clump it together. He was probably from somewhere else, but LA, it's down there. And uh, <laughs> is that where we're going? No. Um, so he. He was talking to my brother, who was also sober. He had about a year and a half sober. And I remember they were talking, like, yeah, we're going to go to Acupa this year, man. It's in Southern California. And I'm like, wow, that's a long ways away. And they're like, you're, <laughs> I, had 90, I had 90 days sober. And they're like, you're guaranteed to stay five years sober if you go to Acupa, though. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? Because, <laughs> you know, cause it, it, just like anything, like, uh, as soon as I got to Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever, and I saw that there was these people doing this deal, I wanted to instantly be the best at it because, you know, if I couldn't be the best at doing what I was doing, uh, I didn't want to do it. Um, so, you know, it's funny. So what we did, we, uh, we loaded, we loaded up in, in my car because, uh, my brother didn't have a car and neither did the other guy and they were all sober. What was up with that? Um, I was so, I was the guy just to kind of give you an idea of what I was like, uh, before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was the guy that was wound so tight, so anally retentive about everything that I had to know the answer to everything before I got there. I just wouldn't do it. It was just too much for me. Uh, and so we load up in my car, and it's a badass car. I mean, it's a 61 Volkswagen Bug. I mean, rust, blown out. You know, we had to put, we probably bought more oil than we bought gas on the way down to LA. And, uh, you know, and I'm driving, and we're, we're like, we're driving through Nevada, and there's a lot of great scenery there, and we're driving. And it's getting later and later and later, and it, we left right after work, and you know we did the die-hard drive from five o'clock after work, and we drove straight through. We're gonna make it, and and I was so anal, and everybody's like, "Hey, dude, I'll drive, man. No big deal. I'll, I'll spell you, man. You can take a nap." I'm like, "No, I'm gonna make it. I'm driving, you know." And my car, three hundred dollar car, and I was sweating other people driving it, uh, and and that was that's like, that's me. That was how I was when I drank and used. Um, you know, I was a control freak about things. Uh, 
I, uh, I was really, really uncomfortable in my own skin. Um, I hated who I was. Uh, and for me, I held out for a long time um, before taking the first drink, you know, because I looked around and I saw my family, uh, a lot of things that I didn't like. I saw what alcohol did to my father, you know, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want that in my life. And I saw in about eighth grade, I have an older brother, he's like 15 months older than me. And I saw him, you know, in eighth grade, just like... Uh, just toilet his life. You know, it was the early 90s and, and leather jacket, or, you know, the, the, the Levi jacket with the patches and stuff on it with the Metallica patch and, you know, the, the marker. You know, and I grew up in a town of, uh, of, of like 2,000 people, and you know, there was three people you didn't want to hang out, my, hang out with, and my brother was one of them. And, uh, and I just hated it. I absolutely hated it. Everybody used to come to me in high school and like, oh, your brother beat up so-and-so, man. He's an asshole. I'm like, whatever. So uh, I hated my brother, and I hated I, I didn't like it. And uh and I had that straight edge mentality about I'm never gonna drink, man. Never gonna drink. And uh, what ended up happening is life piled up on me. Um, it, you know, at about the ripe old age of 17, uh, and I couldn't deal with life on life's terms. And, and for me, I dealt with life on life's terms real good. You know, up until that point, I'm just trying to manage as good as I could. And uh, you know, these circumstances happened. And and I think this is what differentiates me from uh, normal drinkers and, and normal people. I think that other people are willing to accept help and willing to reach out and try and figure out the problem and this and that. And uh, this problem happened to me. And no way, dude. There's no way I'm talking to anybody. I am not going to talk to any about, anybody about this problem. There's no way um, I couldn't do it. And uh, this, was, this was my first real introduction to a power greater than myself. And I truly believe there's a spot in the book somewhere that talks about we all have this fundamental idea of a power greater than ourselves. And when I got here, I didn't think I had that. I'm like, no way, dude. I'm not talking about God. And uh, the deal was for me is that I did have that. I remember uh, specifically after I found out my parents were getting a divorce. And I mean, you know, we had a, they had a great marriage, man. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I found out that, that they were going to get a divorce. And that was, that was the thing that sent me over the edge. And, and I remember I hadn't taken a drink yet. And I was in, we lived right on the edge of town. And there's a lot of trees. And I just remember running up into the trees and, uh, you know, you got, you know, and I was just, I was absolutely pissed off and I, I couldn't believe that um, this, this power was going to do this to me. Um, and that was my, that was me cutting it off. And I was like, I'm done. And, uh, and for me, not long after that, uh, I found my new power and it was alcohol. You know, it provided something that I couldn't even imagine. And for me, when I took that first drink, I, I don't, I, for me, I'm not going to forget that first drink, man. It was magic. <laughs> it was absolute magic. I had a broken arm. Uh, you know, I lost out on doing this sport that I like to do. And I had no other way to, to vent out all this anger and all this rage inside of me. So we went over to my buddy's house and he had a bottle of vodka and we made some screwdrivers. It's a great drink. And, you know, we just kept drinking them. And, and for me, like what happened was just like probably everybody in here, you know, that warm feeling came down my throat. It hit my stomach and, you know, my cheeks got rosy and I just like settled in, man. It was like I dropped, I dropped that huge pack of weight and, it, and, it, and I was stoked. Like here I was, uh, I was walking hand in hand with alcohol and it was great. And... <laughs> It, it, and for me, you know, I was, uh, let's see, I was like, uh, I, I was 119 pounds as a senior in high school. And, you know, after I drank, man, I was tough. I looked tough. I could back it up now. You know, I had not just run at the mouth like I'll start swinging now because this gave me the strength. Um, <laughs> I could talk to chicks. I mean, that's important when you're 17 years old. You know, this provided like a, a social lubricant for me. Uh, I could actually say something and not seize up. Uh, so... 
yeah, that night went on, and you know, I, I got to that great spot that alcohol gives you. You know, that that it, it provides that effect that I love, and I'm right there, and I'm like, I want to be like this forever. And then I went past that, <laughs> and then I woke up the next day, and my awesome broken arm, you know, it was the elbow cast and everything. And I woke up, leaned up against the wall, and I had puke running down in through the cast, and and just, uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You're telling me, dude, I had to live with that for like three more weeks, and uh, so. So here, I'm laying in my buddy's basement, and uh, he he's laying on his bed or whatever, and I'm sitting there, and I'm and I the first thought that comes to mind, I'm never gonna do that. That was absolute. I, I feel like absolute shit. There's no way I'm gonna do that again. And and I really and I ha- and for me, I had these conscious thoughts a lot of times. Um, I could see my brother, and I could see my dad, and I and I, I don't want to be like I don't want to do that, you know. And I and I really thought that I was gonna outsmart this stuff because I had all this knowledge of what alcohol could do. To a person, I had firsthand experience. I saw him go down. I saw the effects of alcohol in my family. I saw a good kid go bam, and I didn't want that. So for me, as I was doing my drinking from the very beginning, um, it was full throttle because I had to cut that those thoughts off. But I checked myself a lot. I checked myself a lot. There'd be days where I like it'd be Thursday, and I'm like, all right. I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink this week. It would start Monday. I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to drink this week at all, you know. And then I would just hole up in my house, and uh, Friday would come along, and I'm like, sweet, I'm all right, I'm all right. And uh, I'd go over to my buddy's house and just get wasted, you know. And it was, I never really had those, uh, you know, like, I never wanted to just socially drink. It was about, come on, funny feeling, you know. I wanted to get wasted. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to just have a few drinks. I've never had the desire to. Um, so, you know, like there it was, and that's exactly how it started for me. And, uh, and it provided that, that relief that I needed, uh, because man, when I wake up in the morning, it's like a circus up there and, and it, the, the hamster starts running on the wheel and my brain just starts going, I gotta go do that. Oh, I gotta get this done. And then, oh, and I mean, so many thoughts running through my mind. And I think that I'm absolutely going to be able to manage all those thoughts, right? I'm going to think about it enough and I'm going to figure out how to manage that stuff. <laughs> and, and it just didn't. And, uh, and, and when I take those drinks, man, it, it was awesome. And, and I, and just like the book says, uh, just like probably everybody's experience in here, man, it backfired on me. Um, you know, and it didn't take very long. I was 17 when I started and I was 22 when I ended and it started with alcohol and it ended with alcohol. Uh, you know, cause I had standards, you know, cause, <laughs> cause I saw my brother doing all the other junk, you know, and everybody was bagging on him. But alcohol was socially acceptable. You know, you could drink, your friends are drinking and that's what I did. Uh, so. Yeah, I drank and, and uh, slowly destroyed my life. Um, and you know, when I look back on it, you know, my brother would ask me this when he got sober. But he would ask me this when I first got sober. He's like, well, you know, do you think your life was getting better? And when I looked at my life uh, from 17 to 22, it wasn't like gradually getting better. I had these rad times. Don't get me wrong, because you know what? I had, a, I had some great times doing keg stands out in the woods by a fire. I'm telling you, man, those were great, you know, and for about 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it just, in the end, like, for me, they just weren't there anymore. Uh, I had one year of legal drinking, and, you know, I really wanted to, and at this point, I was destroyed so bad as a human being. I'd go to these clubs, right? And, <laughs> A, I couldn't dance. B, I had absolutely no social skills. C, I moved all the way from Colorado to Sacramento, California, and had, I knew no one. And I would just go there and just kind of hang out and just wait for people to talk to me. You know, <laughs> and it never happened. <laughs> I was bummed, so I stopped going to bars, and uh, and I just drank with my friends, and and uh, you know, life got miserable. And for me, uh, I was I like to classify myself as a person that didn't lose everything. You know, I made it to work, 
I made sure I made it to work because, damn it, if I make it to work, then I'm all right. You know, all these things on the outside that looked that looked good to people or I thought looked good to people would prove to me that I didn't have a problem. Um, I'm different, and uh, and I use those to my advantage. And when I got to the point where I got to when I was 17, I forgot to tell you, when I was 17, just before I took a drink, after I was running up in the woods, I was sitting in, in my bedroom, and uh, I had a Winchester 30-30 lever action in my mouth, and I was ready to end it all, you know. And uh, thank God for alcohol because it saved my life. Absolutely, man. I was wound, and, uh, and it saved my life. It provided that effect. So I don't know what it's supposed to look like, but that's what happened for me. So here I am drinking, and I get to that same point, you know, where life just comes. It's just miserable, man. I can't do it anymore. And, uh, you know, at this point, my brother has a year sober. He's in Hawaii, and I remember him calling me on the phone. And after I started drinking at 17, my brother and I became best friends. He's like 15 months older than me, right? So when I, you know, when we drank, it was like a mirror. And if you, I'm sure there's a few people in here that have met my brother, and uh, when we're standing next to each other, or we're talking like, "Oh my God, <laughs> you guys are the same." And uh, and uh, you know, when he said he was going to quit drinking, that hurt. You know, he called me up on the phone, and and he said, "I'm going to rehab tomorrow." I'm like, "What? You're going to go to rehab? Why?" He's all, man, I just can't do it anymore, man. I'm torn up. I can't do it. And I'll tell you what, I threw the pitch on. I'm like, dude, you are weak. You are weak. You need, you, there is nothing you can't solve without, you know, you, you're a man, you know, you will figure out how to do this. And that's how it is. And I truly believe that that's how it was going to happen. You know, you know, I've rehab, rehab's for quitters, you know, all the slogans. I threw them out there. And then I told him, I'm like, yeah, uh, all right, I'm going to call dad. Because <laughs> my dad's on my side, right? So I called my dad, you know, and my dad probably gave him the same barrage of stuff. But he stayed sober, man. Uh, his ass was falling off bad enough. And he was willing to do what it took. And he stayed sober in Hawaii. And uh, he asked if he could move in with me, right? And I'm, and I, I, California was great. I moved out here when I was 19, and it was awesome. And it, I'll tell you what California did for me. It accelerated me to the bottom <laughs> of life really quickly. It was great. Thank you, California. So I crawled back to Colorado and, you know, got a place to live by myself and got a job and told everybody at work that I didn't drink. And I went home and drank and hid it from everybody. And my brother, he calls me up. Uh, he would call me up frequently. And, of course, when he called, I would say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not drinking anymore. Yeah, I'm mean, just drinking on the weekends, man. Everything's great. You know, I, life is good. I got a job, you know. Oh, yeah. And I was really convincing him that my life was great, you know, because I knew he knew. Um, and he's like, dude, I didn't call for that, man. I was just calling to see how you're doing. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I knew he was going to A. I wanted him to start bashing me with it, you know, so I could tell him to stick in his ass. And he never did. And, and, and that was attractive for me. <laughs> so he ends up moving in with me and, and uh, he, uh, he would go to meetings every night, uh, or at least I thought every night. And he was the best example of a walking big book that I could have ever asked for. And this is my brother. I hated his guts forever. And, uh, you know, so we went to pick him up from the airport, right, when he was going to move in with me. And me and my mom went down there. And, uh, you know, he had over years over. And we went out to dinner. And I tell you, when I first saw him, there was a different man. I saw what Alcoholics Anonymous had done to this human being. And this is a guy that couldn't go into 7-Eleven and look the clerk in the eye, you know, just to buy a like, pack of smokes. It was bad. He had to have somebody go with him, that kind of guy. And here he was, man. And just like it talks about in the, in the book, a man brimming over with confidence. You know, he took a shower. Um, he, <laughs> he was clean cut. You know, he opened the door for my mom. He offered to pay for lunch. I mean, I was stunned. I couldn't believe it. This is my brother. 
And uh, for me, I absolutely, at that point, I absolutely wanted what he had. And, uh, and I wondered how he got it. And uh, I knew he didn't drink, and I knew he was going to meetings. But you know what? There's no way I was going to Alcoholics Anonymous because, man, I'm not that bad. <laughs> so he moved in, and, and we hung out, and he was going to meetings. And finally, you know, every night he would ask me one time, he would say, Hey, going to a meeting night, you want to go? And I'd be, No, no, no. And then it was, Yeah, I'll go tomorrow. Go tomorrow, and then tomorrow would come. No, <laughs> I had too much stuff to do, like smoke cigarettes and drink beer. And uh, so he he asked me one more time, and, and I was afraid. I'm a guy driven by fear, self-centered fear, and I was afraid that he wasn't going to ask me again. So I'm like, I gotta just go. I gotta go. I'll just go one time. And I'll, all right, I'll go tonight. Let's go. And it was a 45 minutes drive to this meeting, and. The whole time, it was a gut-wrenching ride. I'm like, my life is over. This is going to suck. I can't believe I'm doing this. What am I going to do? What are they going to make me do? And it was, it was constant running of the mouth for 45 minutes. And I was like, what are, are they going to make me stand up? Do I have to sit down? Do I have to do, you know, I'd never been to church before. It's funny. Like, I had never gone to church before, but I knew about what they did in churches just to bag on it. You know, that was my mind frame. And, uh, the people that go to churches and stuff, absolutely, you know, they have a lot of, uh, a lot of things that I admire. Uh, but you know, at that point, you know, I was scared of any kind of direction other than what was going to come from my brain. And so I was just beating him to death with all these words. And finally, you know, knowing my brother's like, dude, just shut up. Just shut up. When you go in there, you just sit down. You don't have to say anything. They're not going to make you do anything. Just shut up. And I'm are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I had to know, you know, because, you know, I knew everything. And we got there and, and it was a lot like what I had imagined in my mind. Um, you know, there's no, where I got sober, there was no, uh, Wednesday night young peoples or anything like that. It was a Tuesday night basalt group outside of Glenwood Springs. And we got there and I think we got there right on time. And as we were walking in, uh, I had my hat on, you know, because it could cover up most of my face. And I made sure that I had a tight shirt on with tattoos showing and baggy pants pulled down really far. And I tried to look really mean and tough. Uh, so no one would talk to me, and man, I was, it was excruciating. It was a circle, and everybody was looking at everybody. And I walked in, and I had to walk through everybody, and I was just shuffling across the room, and I sat down, and I just stared at the floor, because that was all I could do. I couldn't, I mean, I was such a beat-down human being that I couldn't look people in the eye. And, uh, and it felt to me like it was like a chamber of commerce meeting, you know, because these people were all happy and talking, and oh, I hated it. And uh, man, so... We're sitting there, and I, and, uh, and my brain's just racing. Oh, what do I look like? My pants pulled down too tight. Can you see? You know, do I have a zit on my face? Is my hat down far enough? You know, just all these thoughts going through my head. And, and they get to the point where they're like, "Is there anybody here for their first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous?" Uh, you know, blah blah blah. And and there's this feeling. You know, when you're standing on a dam or something really high, and you get over to the edge, and you're like, "Oh," you know, it's like your body's gonna throw yourself over the side. That was the feeling I felt. I'm like, oh my God, my arm's going to automatically come up or something, dude. My head's telling my heart. He's like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And, uh, you know, my arm like creeps up and I said, my name's Tony. And I think I got a problem. And everybody just busted up laughing. And I, I was pissed. <laughs> Big time. I could, I don't remember anything after that. Uh, I was just sitting there, oh, these people, I'm going to go out and slash tires, you know, I mean, that's the, the kind of thing that I think about. And at the end of the meeting, I'm standing there, and here was another moment for me, I saw, I saw what Alcoholics Anonymous had done to another person, and I see my brother, like, walking up to these people, the old, old people, right, you know, older people, because I couldn't imagine talking to an old person, and he's like, hey, you know, how's it going, this is my brother, and he's introducing me, and I'm just stunned at the social skills that he has, you know what I mean? <laughs> 
because I had absolutely none. Social retard was me. I couldn't talk to people. And he's, you know, introducing himself. And I was like, man, that is awesome. I can't believe that. So I'm standing like right behind him. And, and he's like getting sick of me. He's like, dude, just go talk to somebody, man. I'm like, all right. And I went outside and I caught this poor guy before he got to his truck. And uh, I'm like, hey, hey, can I talk to you? And this guy sat there and he's like, yeah, sure. What's going on? And I said probably like four or five words. I'm like, hey, my life. And I just, I just started bawling, man. And for 15 minutes, probably, I was just puking at the mouth, right? And here's the awesome part about Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know if this guy cared anything about me. But you know what? He sat there and he listened to me. He nodded his head like he gave a shit. And you know what? In the years prior to that, no one in my life did that. It was like, shut up and drink a beer or get out of here, dude. You know, it was, uh, it was nothing like people cared. And, you know, just that simple gesture of that guy acting like he cared, um, it moved me, man. And I felt hope like I had never felt before. Um, and just, just a guy taking time out of his day. That's it. One alcoholic talking to another. That's all it was. And there was the magic for me as a person. And uh, whew, what a deal, dude. What a deal. And, uh, you know, I ended up... Uh, I ended up drinking one more time after that meeting. I had some reservations. There was a Christmas party I really needed to attend, and I couldn't imagine not being wasted. And uh, and after that, I I, I, I don't know. I, I was like Moshe. Um, I made the retarded decision uh, a couple days after Christmas that uh, hey, I think I'm going to quit drinking. I didn't really decide. That was just how it happened. Um, and 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 I had the. It, it's funny. My my story parallels his. I had two options. My brother uh, was going to this AA dance in Aspen, Aspen, Colorado, or I could go hang out with these people in Carbondale and, uh, and drink. And I was so broken off and such a beat-down human being. I reached that point that they talk about that I, can't, I couldn't go to the AA and I couldn't go to the drinking, and I was just beat. And, and what ended up happening is, is I made the other choice. I went to the party. And, and here's the beautiful part, too. Like, there's no right or wrong way in my eyes to do Alcoholics Anonymous. I went to that party, and I didn't drink. I smoked four packs of Camel non-filtered cigarettes, though. <laughs> and I saw, and for me, what it was that I saw when I went to that party was, it, it was absolute misery for me. And I saw that I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, everybody had their little social circles, and they were talking about me. And, you know, they would laugh, and I'd be like, you know. And... And that's what, and that's what happened. And, and I remember that night I wrote a, a piece of paper because I saw my brother writing a lot and I figured I would do what he was doing because I had, you know, what I was doing obviously wasn't working. And I wrote down a page about why can't I do this? Like, how come I can't master this? And I, and what ended up happening is I found somebody that I could relate to other than my brother because they couldn't like continue going with my brother. It's my brother. And then, you know, he would be right and I couldn't have that, <laughs> you know. So I hooked up with this other guy and for me what happened is that I became willing to go to meetings. And in for me, like I, and in for me, like I, and in for me, like I, I got dry, nice and dry and sober, and I skateboarded, smoked cigarettes, and drank coffee. I think I lost like 15 or 20 pounds when I first got sober, and that's all I did. And you know what? Like the fellowship of alcoholics and these old people took me to Denny's, man, and I never laughed so hard in my life sober. You know what I mean? Old people, they were busting it out, and I'm like, no way, dude. I've never had this much fun. And, uh, you know. And you could smoke in Colorado in the, in, the, in the restaurant, so it was great. You know, you could just smoke until you couldn't talk. And uh, so anyway, we, um, I ended up latching on to this guy. And here again, I, and 
I like to sit in Alcoholics Anonymous today, and, and you know, my mind likes to want to judge people, and I want to judge how you're doing your deal, and uh, it's not up to me to decide how uh, you're going to find a power greater than yourself. Uh, and for me, at 90 days sober, I reached that point one more time while I wanted to blow my brains out. Dude, bone-ass sober, dry, miserable, with no solution. Um, I'm a man with no solution. And, and uh, so what did I do? I got in a relationship. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know? And uh, you know what? That chick kept me going to meetings. Um, you know, because I thought, oh, wow, you know. Um, what did I have to bring to a relationship? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, you know, I couldn't even talk. So this, there was a kind of a relationship there. And this, this girl said, hey, do you have a sponsor? And I said, no. And she pointed this guy, Dave. And I knew Dave. Dave, you know, he talked a great talk. And she said, you should ask Dave. He's a cool guy. And I'm like, okay. And I went over there and asked Dave. And uh, you know what? She got drunk and I stayed sober. Uh, she had like two years sober, you know. Like she was locked in. I thought, you know, she was one of those people that was going to like stay sober. And for me, you know, I don't know how God's going to work in people's lives. But you know what? Um, like, I got introduced to a sponsor that he, dude, he worked the steps and did the deal. And he called my, he called my bluff, you know. He, t- he gave me some direction right there. He's like, all right, we're going to meet every Monday night. Can you do that? And I'm like, yeah. Is he willing to go to any links? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, all right, I want you to read the first 164 pages. And by this time, I had already read the first 164 pages. So in my mind, I'm like, I really don't have to do this because I've already done it. And I told him that. I'm like, well, I already read it. And he's all, well, I'll do it anyway. I want you to read it again. I'm like, okay. So I went home and I read like 26 pages. And next Monday came and we met. He asked me that question. He's like, all right, did you read it? And I had a turning point. Uh, it was a huge turning point for me. I had the choice to lie, like I always did. You know, I never read a book in high school. I just made it up. And, or, or I could tell the truth. And f- there was something that happened. There was some magic that happened for me. I told the truth. I said, you know what, dude? I didn't read it. And uh, I didn't catch on fire when I told the truth. It was nuts. <laughs> because, you know, I never wanted to tell the truth. There was like some scary side on the other side. If I told the truth, uh, like you'd run and hide. And, uh, and he didn't run and hide. And he's like, well, you know what? Thanks for telling the truth. I want you to, uh, I want you to read that at first 164 pages and we'll meet next Monday. And, uh, you know what? I did. And we started working the steps and I became willing. And for me, I took, we, we, we breezed through the first three steps. We read it page for page out of the book. And this man, like, took, I couldn't, you know, I'm thinking back, I'm like, man, that guy just took time out of his day to sit with me and read page for page. I couldn't even, when I got here, I couldn't even imagine offering up that much attention to another human being. I'm such a selfish bastard, you know? And here he's doing that for me. What? So I became willing to write that inventory. And there was an, another huge turning point for me. Um, you know, I made the decisions, right? I, I made small decisions on the first three steps when I first got to AA and admitted some defeat. But you know what? When that pencil hit the paper, I truly was turning my will and my life over to something that I honestly uh, didn't believe in. But you know what? It wasn't coming from me. So there was a power greater than myself that was taking care of me because it wasn't coming from my mind and it was everything or nothing. So it was everything when I touched that pencil of the paper. And I wrote that inventory. And I'll tell you what, I look back on that inventory and I'm like, oh my God, dude, how did I stay sober? And, uh, you know, but that's it. Like, uh, and he broke down this analogy to me. I work on cars, right? And he's like, so the first time you did a brake job, how'd it go? And I'm like, well, I screwed it up pretty bad. And he's like, did you finish the job? And I'm like, yeah. And he's all, what did it look like? And I said, it was pretty ugly. And he said, how did the car drive? Just fine. And I'm like, oh, 
Okay, I got it. He's like, well, it's the same thing, man. You're not going to be an expert four-step inventory guy on your first one. You're going to do it how it's laid out in the book, and you're going to do it to the best of your ability. And you know what? That's what I need to do. I needed to do it to the best of my ability. I needed to dump off all that garbage that I said I was never going to say to any other human being. And it set me free, man. I'll tell you. Uh, and I got to read my inventory. And for me, I hear a lot of people, and some people don't get the magic of the inventory. I, don't, I got it a couple times since I've been sober. And we went up, and this guy, my sponsor, lived up in the conundrum up by... Uh, it's this valley up by Aspen. No electricity, no running water. I mean, it was wicked, dude. So I'm reading this inventory in this cabin in the mountains, and I'm driving down from that, man, and I absolutely did feel hand-in-hand hand with the Creator, man. I had dumped off this stuff that I swore I'd never tell anybody else, and I was freed from it. And, uh, you know, I, I had more hope, and I couldn't believe what was being given to me, you know, and I was stoked on it. And, uh, you know, I continued to work the steps and, and continued to do them all. And, you know, after... I went to Akipai. I, I got my first paid vacation sober, right? I had, I had five days paid, and I'm like, yeah, where are we going? And uh, I told my sponsor that I was going to go back out to California. I said, hey, I'm going to go to California. I'm going to hang out with uh, some of my old friends, my drinking friends. I think he's like, are you sure that's a good idea? And I'm like, I don't know. I got a paid vacation. I just want to travel. And he's all, well, you know, there's this conference I heard about. It's going to be in Washington, D.C. Um, it's Akipai. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And uh, he's like, you should go. And I'm like, okay. And, and I was leaving to go to California the next day. You know, I told him, of course, I told him right at the last minute because I didn't want him to try and con me out of it. <laughs> I do that with my wife a lot too. Oh yeah, I'm going tonight. <laughs> um, it's a bad habit. So, you know, here again, I, I traded that white bug that I went to uh, Akipai in for a better bug, a 64. And, uh, and I loaded up my car with no radio. And at this point, um, this, this, it was a mind-altering deal. I was supposed to meet my brother in Washington, D.C. He was supposed to fly over there from Hawaii. And I'm driving by myself. You know where Colorado is, right? And you know where the East Coast in a bug. It was stupid. And, of course, at about Kansas City, it started breaking down. The heads were coming off. And I'm like, it's raining out there. And it was this, this, for me, it was an amazing experience. Like, I was right in the middle of se- uh, 6 and 7, and I saw not what it was like to not have any defects of character. God showed me that that weekend. Uh, it was nothing that I did. It was just an experience that I had staying sober. And I, and I got to live a life for four days with no defects of character for some unknown reason. Um, you know, like... I was so anal about my car, you know, before, like I couldn't leave it. And if it started breaking down, I would just start getting anxiety attacks. How am I going to get it home? How I, you know, and I would never go anywhere for that matter, knowing all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it started breaking down. I got the tools out, man. I laid under the car and I started, you know, tightening the heads back down. And I took the studs out and mangled them up so they'd stay in there. You probably don't understand that, but eh. I'm like, uh, I, I got it running and, and I drove to St. Louis and I made it in there, you know, and I had money because I, you know, I wasn't spending it all on booze. I had a paid vacation. And uh, I called my mom and I said, Mom, my car is like taking a dump. Uh, wh- what do you think I could do? And she said, well, why don't you just get a plane ticket? And I'm like, well, that's novel. <laughs> and so, I, you know, my mom hooked it up for me. I stayed the night in that hotel and I got my bug put back together enough to know that I could make it back to Colorado. I left it at the airport. I got a plane ticket and I flew. And here's the, the it was just, it's, it was magic for me. I got to the airport, right? And it got there early in the morning because I had to check out. And my flight was until like 6 o'clock on Friday night. Uh, and, the, and I got checked in. I'm like, well, I'll just check in. And the lady's like, well, do you want to fly right now? I mean, we've got a flight open right now. You know, if you run down, if you make it down there, you can go. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, I don't like anything changing at the last minute. i got to know how it's going to go down. So, like, this was a big step for me. I'm like, oh, 
okay, I'll try that. And I started walking, man. I started walking. And I got down to the, the, the checkout deal, and everybody was on the plane. I just handed the ticket and walked right on. I mean, it was magic. Have you ever done that at the airport? I've never done that at the airport. Um, flew there, and I, and I had no car, and I got to the airport, and I've never been to Washington, D.C. before. And, you know, Icky Pond's pretty big there. And what happened is that there was people from the conference there, and I didn't know that. And I got a shuttle, and I rode with all these people. And here's what happened for me. I got to that conference, and I was still, like, not Mr. Social Guy. And I, and I walked in, and it was just like that. I mean, it was Friday night, right? It's deep. There's tons of people running around, and oh, and I walked through the doors, and I was just like, whoa, whoa. And I walked around, and I found, like, the farthest couch I could find, and I went over, and I sat down on that couch, and I got scared. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do it. And uh, so... I get, my brother calls me. He's like, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it, man. I can't get over there. And I was pissed. I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I can't do this. And unbeknownst to me, uh, he, his sponsor was going to be there, right? So his sponsor's going around telling everybody at the conference, you know, because he doesn't know what I look like. He's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be looking for this guy. His name's Tony Klink. Who am I looking for? And everybody, oh, Tony Klink, right? <laughs> and uh, I'm not there yet. I'm coming in. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was hard. So I'm standing there, right? And I just, I made this decision. I'm like, I asked God, I asked God. And at that point still, I couldn't say the word God. I said, bro. And I looked up at this guy and I said, bro, help me do what it is you think you want me to do. And, and just help me have the courage to do it. And I walked over to the registration table and I filled out my badge. You know, I didn't know how to do it. And it still looks the same. I spell it all crappy. And, and, uh, and I'm walking around, right? I've got my backpack on my skateboard and I'm just like, I don't know what to do. You just walk around. And people stopped me, these people in front of me, like, oh, you're from Colorado, blah, blah, blah. And these two people in front were from Colorado, and there's this girl in the back that's going like this. Like, I stole something from her in the past. You know, that look. She's like... And, and, I, uh, and I'm like, what's going on? And she, she, like, breaks through the people, and she said, are you Tony Clink? And I know damn good and well that my last name is not on that badge. And I freaked out. I just, woof, what? And uh, so she grabs my arm, right? And she takes me into the hospitality room. I found Tony Clegg! And I'm like, oh, my God! And, and here, here's, this is my perspective of it all, right? My perspective is that it's like, it was like the main meeting last night. There was probably like 10 people in there, and they probably hardly yelled. But for me, it was huge. I was just stunned. I'm like, oh, my God. And you know what? These people from Hawaii, I had just hooked up with them, right? And these people from Hawaii took me around this, uh, this conference and showed me how to stay sober and have fun and taught me how to like bring newcomers. They showed me to how to have this experience that is, it's awesome. I mean, you all, you're sitting in it, man. This is an amazing amount of energy. And they showed me how to enjoy it. Because I tell you what, my first acupaw sucked. I hated it. I couldn't even talk to people, man. At 90 days sober and dry, I was walking around miserable, man. Um, so what ended up happening is, uh, I had an awesome time and, you know, I went back and I took that fire and that flame back to Colorado, you know, and I wanted to start my own damn meeting. And we ended up starting a young people's meeting in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, you know, and I just kept going from there. Um, and I just, you know, it just trips me out to see, um, like how it works, you know, cause here, you know, I'm standing behind this podium, right? And I remember when I went to my first Acupaw, I couldn't, if, if you were going to tell me that like 10 or so year la years later, I'd be standing up there flapping my gums in front of, you know, a couple people, I would have left Alcoholics Anonymous right there and never came back for sure. Um, and, and that's the beauty of it, man. Like God just gives us enough. 
You know, and, and, I, and the thing for me that I got to remember today, you know, like, it's amazing. I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, single guy living on this bench top at a ski resort. And, you know, it's just stuff. But I have a house today. You know what is amazing? Like, I can show up for a relationship with a woman that I love. I met her in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. Um, and, and, and it's been awesome. I got a couple kids. What? I can be a parent? What? And... Um, it just blew, it just blows me away, you know. And one day at a time, I've show, I've marched through this huge fear, like that ball he was talking about. That's for me. It's like that big fear thing, and it's like, okay, can I do this? Can I do this? I can do it. I can do it. And I just do it. I just take one more step, even when I don't think I can do it, because, you know, I don't know what's on the other side, but I know what I had, and I don't want that, you know. And I become willing to do absolutely anything that it takes to stay sober. And you know, like I'm just a Joe average dude living a life, and I'm grateful for it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> if you didn't have that much fun at Acupaw, man, keep coming back here because it kicks ass. Um, you know, and for me, something that's happened, like, <clears throat> I get really stoked to get a bunch of people fired up to go to a conference because I know what it did for me. And I want to freely pass that on to somebody else. And whether they get it or not, there's nothing I can do about it, right? But, man, it is awesome to see. Oh, there's a couple people out here, you know. Took a couple guys up to Wacky Paw in Montana, and we drove straight through. The car blew up. We got stuck in the desert. I mean, but it was fun, man. It was a kick in the ass. And we stayed sober. And I see these people taking that message and that kick-ass time about Alcoholics Anonymous and God and the whole gig to another young guy. And I just see it keep going. And uh, it's just an amazing deal. And, you know, you're, this is the last meeting of an awesome time. And just don't forget, man, when you get back to where you're from, don't forget to take it with you. Because that's your job. You showed up here and got this gift. Give it away, man. And, uh, you know, there's probably a million things that I would have loved to have said. Uh, the, the one thing that reigns true for me is that I've got to stay living in the moment. That's the only place that I've ever found a power greater than myself to be effective. Uh, not tomorrow, not yesterday, right here, right now. And, you know, for the first time, like at a speaking engagement, like I wasn't nervous really until this morning. And uh, that's rare, you know what I mean? There's a lot of ego in there, I'm sure. You know, I still got an ego about it, but you know what? I just keep asking God to take away the fear and direct me to how it, He would have me be, and uh, and, it, and it works, and it absolutely works. And I do the next right thing, and I'm and I'm grateful to be up here. And thank you guys, you guys all rock. And thanks the host committee for putting this on, man. Let's give it up for Tony and Sophie, please. Okay, we have uh, two things left. Um, we're gonna right now. We'd like to invite the Acupaw Advisory Council to. The